All right, we are praying. Uh, Father, this morning, we again, we come uh, and we thank you, Lord God, that you're alive. We thank you, Lord, that your word is alive. We thank you, Father, that we are alive. And Lord, that you've brought us into the kingdom for such a time as this. And so right now, Father, we open up our minds, we open up our hearts, and we declare that we are teachable. We ask you to speak to us, to instruct us, Lord, to give us insight and revelation. And God, we pray that we will continue to change in your presence and that we're going from glory to glory and from strength to strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody's got an outline in their hand. In fact, I've been thinking, boy, do I have a word for you this morning. Uh, do I have a word for you this morning. I've been to the mountain. God spoke to me, and I wrote it on tablets, a little bit like Moses did when he came down. And uh, <laughs> I tell you, uh, the title for this morning's message is, If I Were the Devil. If I Were the Devil. In August, uh, September of 2014, I heard a phrase in my spirit, and it was exactly that, if I were the devil. Um, and, uh, and I knew in my spirit that that was going to be the title of a message that God wanted me to bring at some point. And so I wrote a few things down, as I do. Uh, and, you know, I'm never short of things to preach. God always speaks, and there's, you know, the Bible is a big book, you know. Uh, but it's not so much a matter of uh, uh, what will I preach. It's a matter of when will I minister this, when will I teach that. And uh, shortly after that, I went to... Pastor Vanessa and I went to South Africa um, to the conference over there and for some uh, meetings with, you know, Bible College uh, uh, <clears throat> board there and, and, and what have you. <coughs> and I remember sitting down here or there just sort of meditating on things a little bit. And, and I'm thinking, if I were the devil, you know, I'm kind of thinking, if I were the devil. And I thought I had an original idea. I really did. Uh, anyway, uh, I've, in the meantime, sort of uh, wrote things down and laid it aside. And occasionally, I pick it up, and then I lay it down. No, time's not right. Time's not right. Um, and so this week, uh, just gone, I sort of picked it up, and I felt uh, God was saying that the time's right. You know, we've been, we've been ministering uh, for the last four weeks uh, in the area of signs of end times as to what we can or what we should expect to happen before the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, Pastor Vanessa made an interesting uh, uh, a comment there because she was in children's church for a couple of those Sundays and she listened to the message online as we sometimes do if we, we, we miss it and she, she called those messages revival messages. And I thought that was an interesting comment uh, that really every message should be a revival message but some messages specifically kind of help to sort of revive us and to move us into a greater place in God. And so we've been ministering along these lines uh, because we pointed out that uh, four of the signs uh, uh, that Jesus said would happen uh, is that many people will be deceived in the last days, that many people will be offended, number two. Number three, that there will be lawlessness like you have not seen before. And number four, that the love of many will grow cold, that you will have backslidden Christians and, and, and sort of uh, lukewarm Christians in all directions. But we said in the middle of it all, you've got a church that's on fire for God. So the church that's on fire for God and the back Excellent church lives side by side. They're intermingled with one another. It's a bit like, you know, Jesus teaching the parable uh, of the, uh, the, the tares and the wheat. And they grow up side by side. And I've had a fresh revelation in this area. And parts of it scared me a little bit. It's like, oh, oh gosh. Uh, anyway, 
So in the middle of it all, uh, I felt that, uh, you know, that the first sign of end times is deception, um, and the devil is a master deceiver. So I felt that this time was right for me to bring this word today. And as I said before, I thought I had an original idea, but turns out, as I was kind of looking around a bit, uh, I came across a uh, YouTube clip, and in fact, it's more of an audio clip than it is footage uh, of a, uh, an American broadcaster by the name of Paul Harvey. Now, most of you would have never heard of him, but in America, he is very well known. In fact, he died a few years ago, uh, and, 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 um, quite an elderly man, and he was in radio since age 14, and one of the most popular radio figures of all times in America. Uh, he boasted of, a, uh, of an audience, of a radio audience of up to 27 million people at any one time, and he was on the, like, on the radio all the time. Uh, he was a conservative man. In other words, he's not a liberal, he's a conservative. Uh, he has quite a voice on him, as you'll hear in just a moment. And uh, he wrote this kind of little uh, sort of essay, and then he read it out on, the, on radio, and it's called If I Were the Devil. Uh, and I would like for us to listen to that, because I think it's kind of quite cool. Uh, now, that's not to say that everything else that Paul Harvey says is great and wonderful, but I, I quite like that clip there. So let's play that, guys, if we can. Thank you. All right. Is that good or what? <laughs> I enjoyed it anyway. Praise God. Now, before we get started, you need to help me with something. I'm really concerned. Uh, in case you get the wrong end of the stick here this morning, the title of this morning's uh, is If I Were the Devil. How many of you know I'm not the devil? Uh, how many of you know I'm not the devil? Please help me with that. I mean, you've got to be careful with these things. If you quote me on anything I say today, please quote me in its entirety. I mean, somebody misquote me or only quote part of what I'm saying, you could ruin my whole life in ministry. And so, uh, have you know that, uh, that I've got a halo on my head? I don't have uh, horns sticking out of my head. And I've got a Bible in my hand, not a pitchfork. All right, praise God. So the title of this message is, If I Were the Devil. So here we go in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, it says, put on the whole armor of God. The armor of a heavy-armed soldier, which God supplies, that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, To keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, it says, For we are not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. Uh, the word wiles here speaks of the methods of the devil. And Paul says, we are not ignorant of the devil's methods, uh, of his wiles, of his strategies. Uh, and I would like to su suggest to you that many, many Christians are quite ignorant of Satan's strategies and deceits and quite unaware of the way that the devil works with his wiles, with his methods, with his strategies and intentions. And uh, in my way of, of uh, the way I read the word is the two main strategies that the devil uses against people. They're the two main ones. They're not the only ones, but they are the two main ones. Number one is ignorance, and number two, uh, it's uh, deception. Ignorance is to keep people in the dark, uh, and deception is to tell people that they've already arrived. There's nothing further they need to do, to kind of uh, give people the impression that they're already in the light, when actually, really, they're still in darkness. You know, ignorance, if we were to take this word ignorance uh, and kind of analyze it and run some checks on it in terms of take, taking Bible dictionaries and, and uh, language dictionaries and so forth, it basically means to know not uh, and understand not. Know not and understand not. 
an interesting, uh, in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, God says, my, dis- my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So ignorance is a lack of knowledge. Um, and then when we talk about deception, uh, and that is the second one of Satan's uh, strategies, deception is to believe that something is right when it is actually wrong. And we've been for the last few weeks talking about that, you know, the Bible speaks about uh, days that are coming when people call light darkness and they call darkness light, when they call sweet bitter and bitter sweet, when they call good evil and evil good. We are in those days right now. All right. So we have, uh, we have uh, whole populations uh, deceived uh, completely and are actually in ignorance. And uh, in terms of deception, look what it says here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And it's in your outline, but it's also on the screen behind me. It speaks there about the, the it says, And the huge dragon was cast down and out, that age-old serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Uh, he who is the seducer or the deceiver of all humanity the world over. All right? So in other words, the devil works in every continent, in every country, in every city, in every town, in every village, in every hamlet, in every area, in the rural area. He works in every home, or he tries to. He works in every factory, on every sports field, in every hospital, in every prison, in every boardroom. The devil works everywhere. He works, tries to work in every government, and he clearly does with some of the stu- stupid things that uh, politicians come up with. We know it's of the devil. Uh, we know it's right from the pit of hell, but they call it good. Of course, that's not, they're not all, not, not all doing bad things. Praise God for our politicians and for good things to, but, that they do. But uh, the whole point is that the Bible says here that Satan is the deceiver or the, uh, the seducer of all humanity the world over. He was forced out and down to the earth, and his angels were flung out along with him. Notice it says that the devil was flung down to the earth. A lot of people think that Satan is in hell, but he's not. He's on the earth. He's roaming the earth. And demon spirits are roaming the earth. Uh, And what are they doing? They try to keep people in darkness, and they try to deceive people along with that to keep them down and to keep them, uh, or to either keep them down or to take them down. When somebody manages to rise up and to come into the light, the devil is not happy. He wants to take them down. And so with that, if I were the devil, which I'm not, but if I were, this is what I would do. Number one, I would deceive you uh, into believing that he does not exist. That will be my first and my best lie. And actually, it is. It is the, first be- the devil's first and best lie to say that he does not exist. Here in John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, You are of your father the devil. Now, this is Jesus speaking to the religious rulers of the day uh, who tried to hinder him at every turn. He says, You're of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, the devil is not only a liar, but he's the father of lies. So he's the master deceiver. He's the father of lies. 
And uh, the biggest lie, as I said before, that he's ever told is that he does not exist. What does that do? Well, it keeps people in darkness. Uh, it kind of uh, dupes people into thinking that if there is a supernatural being, it's got to be God and God only. So people automatically blame God for all of their problems, all their trials, all their tribulations. But my friend, let me state it very clearly. God is not at the back of your problems. God's your answer. All right, God's your answer. Hallelujah. And the devil is the problem. Uh, and that's where all the killing, all the stealing, and all the disaster is coming from. All the famines and all the greed and everything that goes on in the world, the way that everything is sort of set up wrongly somehow, uh, and, uh, and, and the devil is right behind all of that. He's a murderer. From the beginning. He's the one that was responsible for stirring up Cain to kill Abel. Uh, and he was right there. And he was right there in the Garden of Eden. And what did he do? He was there to deceive. And he has not stopped yet. He's still operating today. Now we know that Satan is defeated through the death of Jesus on the cross and through the blood that Jesus shed. The devil is defeated, but he's still roaming around. Yeah, that's right. And he's still active today. And you and I, we need to be aware of his strategies. Amen. So if I were the devil, number two, um, I would try to keep you away from the local church as long as I could. I'd try everything. I'd try Sunday shopping. I'd try Sunday sports. I try to make you tired on a Sunday morning so you don't get down to the church. And when you're invited to the church that you'd say, no, no, no. I make you believe that all the Christians are hypocrites. And I move on some of them and actually make them hypocrites to convince everybody else that everybody's the same. But how do you know that that is not the truth? But however, if I were the devil, I will convince you of that. That's absolutely what I would do. I will keep you away from the church because here it is in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. Paul speaking, he says, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, Amen. the pillar and the ground of the truth. You see, here's the deal. The devil knows, in fact, the devil knows the Bible better than what many, many most Christians do, I would suggest. The devil knows that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. It is the ground where, where the truth is kind of spread and spread from. It is also the pillar that upholds truth from generation to generation to generation. That's why the devil wants to shut, shut the church down. Remember last week we talked about the seven lampstands that Jesus spoke about in the book of Revelation. And he says the lampstand is the local church. Amen. And it shines the light to the people that are in it and close to it and shines the light into that community. Hallelujah. So every church, every local church has a responsibility to hold up the truth and to shine the light Amen. so that people can come to it. Now, of course, we know that, uh, you know, church is not just the four walls, that we as the believers, we have to go out and take the church out into the community and preach the gospel out there. But other than that, I, if I were the devil, I would absolutely keep people away from the church as long as I could. Because that's where God's word is proclaimed and taught, or at least should be. And if it's not, let's not call it the church. 
If, if the truth is not proclaimed, if they, if they preach from the Reader's Digest Sunday after Sunday, that's not a church. That's not a church. So that's where, the God, where God's Word is proclaimed and taught week after week, sermon after sermon, teaching people how to get saved, how to get healed, how to get filled with the Spirit, how to make their lives work, how to make their marriages work, how to raise their children, how to put food on the table, how to be successful, and how to prosper. It's all happening within the context of the local church. God spoke to the priest in the book of Malachi. We haven't got time to swing over there, but it wouldn't be very hard. And he says, knowledge is to be found from the lips of the priest. The priests were there to teach the people. Because now we've got universities to teach people. But in, in the old days in Israel, it was the priest that taught the people. Now we've got atheists teaching our children. <coughs> Now we got politicians breathing down our necks in regards to laws that are so stupid that, that you think, is there any intelligent people left today? Right. I was just thinking, I was talking last week, was it the week before, about that new ruling now that, uh, or strong recommendation that was put throughout the churches, uh, should I say, throughout the schools in New Zealand here, uh, to kind of make all their, the, the toilets at school all unisex, the boys can go anywhere, and girls can go anywhere, uh, and then to also redesign school uniforms so that it's unisex, that when you look at a, uh, at a, at a young child with a uniform, uh, you don't know if you're looking at a boy or at a girl. <laughs> thinking, where are these idiot adults that are thinking of such nonsense? Where can we find these people to tell them to get themselves alive and to leave us alone, leave our children alone? Where are these people? Right. <laughs> but of course we are so politically correct now, we can't talk about these things. We just need to let it all ride and slide. But I'm telling you, my friend, within one generation, the devil can get the upper hand uh, and, uh, you know, the communists have known if they can get, uh, if they can get uh, uh, demand that uh, women, mothers also go out to work, that the state can teach the children. That's an old ploy. I mean, that was around sort of, uh, that was an understanding around in the church. People said, oh, we, we know what's happened. The state started to teach the children rather than the parents teach their children. I'm not suggesting that children should not go to school. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I'm suggesting that if you've got children at school, you better, you want to get yourself on the parent-teacher board. You want to get yourself involved in the leadership of this deal. And you want to say, no, this is not going to happen in our school year. This is not going to happen under my watch. This is not going to happen to my children. We will not have the homosexuals and the gays and the lesbians coming in to do sex education. This is not going to happen. Amen. <laughs> if I were the devil. Amen. If I were the devil. You know, God is designed... In fact, let me read Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Um, no, let me read point number three. <laughs> I just got a little excited there for a moment. <laughs> it's in number three. If I were the devil, and if you already were a Christian, I would deceive you into believing that you don't need to be at church every Sunday. That's what I would do. I would lull you into believing that it's okay to bob up your head every now and then. 
that you know you can mix and intermingle your activities uh, on a Sunday during church time with various other things because I would make you believe that it's not important to be at church every Sunday. Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. Here is John the Revelator uh, and uh, he's on the island of Patmos because we talked about it, was it last week, about receiving a message from Jesus regarding the seven churches and that pertains to us. And uh, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Notice the word the Lord's day. The Lord's day is Sunday. In the Jewish religion, they have the Sabbath, which is the Saturday. But in the Christian faith, we have the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So John was at church um, on Sunday. He was worshiping God, and next minute he's lost in the Spirit, and he's just loving on Jesus. And he says, I heard a loud voice behind me. And of course, the loud voice was Jesus coming to John, introducing himself to him. He says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. Write, John, what you see and what you hear and send it to the seven churches. And here's the deal. God has designed that there be a weekly day called the Lord's Day. Everybody say weekly. weekly. The Lord's Day is not a monthly day. It's not an annual day. It's not a bi- it is a weekly day. In God's time reckoning, the Lord's Day comes around once a week. The preaching, let it be, of God's Word every Sunday should be the loudest voice that we hear for the whole week. The loudest voice. It should be louder than what we hear on radio, on television, to what we hear on the sports field. It should be louder than what we hear from our friends and opinions and by what we hear in schools and university and here and there. The preaching of God's Word should be the loudest voice. And I don't mean in volume as much as I do in importance, that everything is subservient to the teaching, or should I say to the Word of God that is proclaimed. You know, the Sunday sermon is most Christians' main source of teaching. And here's the deal. This is not new. I've talked about this before. This is one of my great concerns. That uh, God's Word is typically taught in a series of messages. If you miss every other Sunday, at best, you've only got half the story. You've only got half the story. Somebody said once, and there's a, a, a sentence, a phrase that I heard years ago, and it really made me think. They said, the problem is not what you know. The problem is what you don't know. That's your problem. And God has designed things in such a way that weekly God speaks to us. And I'm totally and utterly convinced that anybody that would sit in a, in a Bible-believing, in a Spirit-filled church where the ministers are filled with the Spirit and are listening to God, there will not be a single service, a single sermon that is preached where somebody would come in, listen to it, and walk back out and say, that didn't apply to me today. I'll absolutely be convinced that that person would be totally and utterly deceived. Right. I tell you, I've heard some anointed preaching in my time over the years, and many of you have as well. 
Uh, and then I've heard some drier sermons as well. I've heard one or two dry sermons that were just a bit dry. You know, like when you eat them biscuits, uh, those dry ones. What are they called? These dry thing where you put one in your mouth and you've got to have a glass of water with it. I've heard some of those sermons where I thought, oh God, I've got to wash this thing down, otherwise it's going to choke me. But even in the middle of that, I got a revelation. Hallelujah. Even if it's just a revelation of, thou shalt not bore people. All right, that's a revelation. Thou shalt, thou art not allowed to bore people. Thou shalt not waffle. All right. <laughs> Praise God. So, so what we are saying here is that uh, a lot of Christians are running around with half the story. And they've only got half a victory. They haven't got a full victory. They haven't got a full healing. They've only got a half, they've only got, they've only got a half a prosperity, if that. Their marriage only half works. It doesn't fully work. Why? Because, because of this attitude. So since faith comes by hearing, letter E, comes by hearing the preaching of God's word, if you miss one Sunday, your faith is already compromised. But what's tragic about it is you don't know it. Amen. That's what's tragic about it. Right. God knows it. That's why God says, let all the people come. There should be absolute traffic jams on a Sunday morning right across our city. It's all the Christians. Not going down to the shopping center. Not rushing across to the sports field, but coming down to church. There's a weekly washing that takes place. The Bible speaks of the washing of the water of the Word. And what's really bad is when people need washing and they don't know it. When you get with somebody that hasn't had a shower in a few days and you know it, but they don't know it. It's like tragic. It's like tragic. And they're Christians. Oh, I've been around some of them. Oh, they need a washing. And yet they resist and they don't want to be washed by the washing of the word. There's a shower that takes place. And then there's a soaking in the presence of God. And there's a removing of burdens and of yokes and of cares and of worries. So when we finish on a Sunday, we can start with a blank page and go on into Monday and Tuesday and we can have the victory again rather than being weighed down week after week and then a little bit of, you know, one washing of multiplied weeks worth is like, sometimes it takes a while to get people into a place of liberty. Believe me, after 28 years of pastoring, I know it takes a while to get people into liberty. Just a one-time event is not what it takes. God says it takes a weekly washing, a weekly message, a sermon that uh, does exactly that. Hallelujah. If I were the devil, which I'm not, but if I were, I would deceive you, point number four, into analyzing sermons instead of internalizing God's word. I'll get you to analyze the sermon every Sunday. I'll get you to determine what you liked and what you didn't like. And I will get you to analyze it to determine what you believe and what you don't believe and what you choose to get on board with. And that's what I will get you to do. It's just kind of, I'll get you to even discuss it with others. That's what I will get you to do. But here's the deal. You see, the devil does not mind us discussing the sermon. The devil really hates it when we do the sermon, when we obey the Word of God and when we internalize it and take it right into our heart. While we sort of analyze it out here and take it apart. And you see, this is one of the downfalls of knowledge. 
You know, when knowledge increases, and we've been Christians for a little while, however long that is, we, we have a little knowledge, and along with it, we develop an opinion. It's like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Hallelujah. Bible says knowledge has the capacity to puff up. Yeah. Puff up. But love edifies. And people that feel the need, in fact, uh, Pastor Vanessa and I, we were in a church where there's one man, bless his heart, <laughs> he's a lovely guy, lovely enough. One guy, he came along with a whole bag, he had all his study books with him. Back then there were books, you know, now we've got apps, back then there were books. I mean, he literally brought a couple of translations of the Bible. He had his concordance in there. He had his uh, word dictionary, like, you know, Vines, uh, some of the study aids that we use. And he was following right along and he's checking up. And, you know, it's good to check up that we don't swallow everything hook, line, and sinker. But when we think we're getting to the place when we are smarter than anointed ministers, that we can pick and choose a little bit like at a buffet, that's great deception. So if I were the devil, I would get you to do that. I'll get you to analyze instead of internalize. That's what I would really, really do. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectually works in you, who believe. Lay your hands on yourself and say, the word works in me because I believe. The word needs to go in us and then it works in us while we sort of externally sort of look at it every which way and then lay it down and say, I'll see you next Sunday, Pastor. Uh, it doesn't work in us. It does not address the issues that it needs to address. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, uh, Jesus teaching the parable of the sower. And of course, he starts out by saying, the sower sows the word, which is the, the person that sows the seed of God's word into hearts. And in many respects, we should be our own sowers. I'm not suggesting that a weekly wash of the Word is enough. There is something about a daily intake of the Word of God. Fresh manna from heaven. We cannot fight today's and tomorrow's battle to get a victory with yesterday's manna. Yeah, that's right. So there is a deal there where God wants us to just uh, have freshness, where we have fresh, fresh revelation. So Jesus' teaching there talks about four different types of soil. And it's only the fourth one that is somebody with a good and honest heart that has received the word and that actually brings forth fruit. Every message that we hear has a design and a purpose and an intent that when it's sown into our heart, embraced and received, not analyzed as such, but, you know, by all means, let's check it out and let's not just take, you know, swallow everything hook, line and sinker. But after we have determined that, yes, this is what the word says, we receive it. And it wants to bring forth fruit in our lives. It wants to lead us to more 
fruitful lives. It wants to bring greater liberty in our lives. It wants to bring forth greater, greater levels of, of, of usefulness in the purposes of God. The Word is designed to do exactly that. But while we analyze it and look at it like we might even a diamond and say, wow, this is amazing, and then lay down and then walk away, it's when people analyze and not internalize. So if I were the devil, that's what I would do. Uh, Luke 8.15, the seed that fell on the good ground is those who hear God's, God's teaching with good and honest hearts and obeyed and patiently produce good fruit. And I've absolutely uh, kind of come to a, to, a, to a fresh understanding that it's not the word that upsets people. It's their own hearts that upsets people. Because it's the same word preached to four different types of people with four different types of hearts. And some people are grateful and absolutely receive it and, and rave on about it. And other people say, I'm not sure about that, Pastor. You upset me today. I don't mean today, and I don't mean you or me. I'm talking about the others right now. You know, like you know, the, the people that are not here. We're talking about them here today. But if I were the devil, that's what I would do. Number five, if I were the devil, I would drive a wedge between you and your pastors. That's what I would do. If I were the devil, I would know and I would be convinced that if I can affect your good relationship with your pastors, I can hinder you and I can make life difficult for your pastors. That's what I would do. You know, what people many times don't understand is that pastors in the local churches and ministers as a whole, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or teachers, but more so the pastor who is in the house day after day, week after week. Praise God for traveling ministers that come in and we open our lives to the apostle, to the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. But more so the pastor is Jesus' representative to that church. Jesus' agent to that local church. You know, we use different terms and different streams, different denominations. They say pastors, then they talk about head elders over here. In another place, they call them parson. In another place, they call it vicar. In another place, they call it priest. Um, it is pretty much all reference to the same people, the leaders who minister the word of God to us. But many times, people don't realize that the word vicar, vicar is a term that's used in the Anglican, uh, in the Church of England, and also some in the Catholic Church. The word vicar, if analyzed by a dictionary, we would find out that the word vicar is one who stands in the place of another. And what people don't realize, I'm here to stand in the place of Jesus Christ. Amen. To minister the word to you. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the devil and I'm not Jesus. All right? <laughs> Just making sure that I, know, that I know that and that you know that I know and that you know that you know that I know. Amen. All right? Just making sure. It's just like, don't go away and quote me. Uh, in part for what I'm saying here today and go down to church and say, you don't want to go to that church. The pastor is the devil down there. You don't want to, you don't want to say that. I would absolutely drive a wedge in between you and your pastor. That's what I would do. I would get you upset somehow. I'd make you believe that he let you down somewhere. I'd make you believe he doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. That's what I would do. Sometimes people get the wrong end of the stick and say, you know, pastor, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And say, well... 
Sorry, it's not my job. Uh, my job, if I were to analyze, uh, uh, my job is to pray for people. That's, that's my job. My job is to hear from heaven and to minister the word and to feed the sheep. That's my job. My job is to provide leadership. That's my job. And my job is to tell people the truth. If I were anywhere and people claimed to love me and not tell me the truth, I could be deceived into thinking like, wow, these people really love me. I mean, these are wonderful people, but they lie to me or they keep the truth from me. That's not loving people. The best way to love people is to tell people the truth. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. Tell us the truth. So if I go in anywhere and say, oh, the minister, oh, please don't waffle. God, help, help the minister today. I need to hear the word. I need to have fresh manna from heaven. I need to have fresh revelation. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Uh, Paul speaking, he says, we are Christ's representatives. One translation says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And all of us as believers, we call ourselves ambassadors for Christ. And that is correct. We are absolutely that. But specifically, the meaning of this particular passage here, Paul was referring to himself and to Apollos and to Silas and to some of his fellow ministers that have come to the Corinthian church. And he says, we are the representatives and we are the agents of Jesus Christ into this house into this uh, setting. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We are speaking for Christ himself now. We are speaking for Christ himself now. That's a pretty bold statement. It's also, it's also a uh, scary statement. Because if I'm not speaking for Christ right now, I'll just hold my peace and I should sit down. The Bible says, do not be many teachers. Because on teachers comes the greater judgment. You teach the word and you preach the word and you get it wrong, you get greater judgment coming on you. Don't run around and say, thus says the Lord. That is such a high responsibility of saying, thus says the Lord. The people shoot from the hip and say, thus says the Lord. Haven't, you know, kind of uh, studied the word. Haven't, haven't, you know, they've had some sort of a, some sort of a uh, uh, opinion and running around saying, thus says the Lord. We need to be very careful Amen. when we say, thus says the Lord. If it's thus says the Lord, it better be thus says the Lord. We cannot misdirect people and get into even directive prayers. Do this. You marry that one. You do leave this job. You get out of here and everything. Thus says the Lord. Be very careful. Don't let people do that to you. Amen. Sometimes people say, oh, pastor, what should I do? And say, look, you need to pray about that. But here's what the word says. And if I were you, I would proceed this way, but I can't tell you what to do because you need to get your own direction from your own God. You can get wisdom from men of God and from women of God, and you can get understanding and knowledge, but ultimately you need to be led by the Spirit and you need to live by the Word. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Oh, I tell you, I've had enough, thus says the Lord, of people running around, their lives are in a mess. They're in a different church every other Sunday. They think they're God's gift. 
to humanity. They tell God that God should be pleased that he's got them on their team. People running around saying, thus says the Lord. Be very careful. All right, am I still preaching good? Even now it's gone very quiet on me now. I'm starting to get really concerned now. <laughs> so if I were the devil, I would take a wedge. I remember when I grew up and a little bit thereafter, um, my father had a sawmill and we also had some forestry. Uh, and so occasionally we'd go and cut down some trees in the forest and, uh, you know, some of it was used for selling, some of it was used for building things and other stuff was used for firewood and different things. And I remember when, you know, when you work with wood and when you chop it up, say, talk about firewood and you take that block and put it on that, on that stump and you take your axe and you swing it hard and, uh, and if it's got no knots in it, it'll just fall apart in the first swipe. You've just got to hit it hard. Uh, but if it's got knots in it or if you're getting further down towards the root system, uh, uh, what you do is you take a wedge. Uh, and so what you do is you, first of all, uh, you sort of try to create a crack somewhere, try to find a natural crack, and you, you take a wedge. Because uh, um, you can get wedges that are either, you know, metal, steel, or you can get some that are wooden wedges with a steel ring around the back, so when you hit them, and, and, and you just drive this wedge in there and then wait for a while. Uh, uh, there's a little bit of a crack that goes on, and then you don't just whack, whack, whack it in, and suddenly it'll sink in, and it hasn't done the job. You just drive it in slowly, and you might even go and do something else, and then you come back and you give it another whack, and then gradually, you know, the pressure of this thing will gradually tear this thing apart, and I've watched it in people's lives over the years. I've seen it where there is the devil. I know the devil is working on them. Ah, I know that, uh, that uh, you know, there's an attitude, there's kind of a mindset developing. You know, it could be various things. Uh, um, and suddenly, you know, the devil waxed this wedge uh, every, every other week. And then, you know, sometimes six months go by and the devil gives it another whack. And then suddenly there is a wedge between that person and their past. And now the devil has exactly achieved what he wants to achieve because here's the deal. When there's a he healthy relationship between a pastor and the people in that particular local church, there is a flow that takes place. There is a flow. You see, the devil knows if he can discredit the messenger, people don't receive the message. People don't sit down when they're offended to listen to somebody uh, week after week and receive from somebody. Even no matter how good they teach or preach, they don't receive anymore because the relationship has been severed. God wants there to be a connectedness. Amen. So if I were the devil, I'd work on people really hard and drive a wedge between them and the leaders uh, in that church. You see, your attitude, in fact, uh, yeah, let it be your attitude towards your pastors reveals your attitude towards Jesus. People don't know this. I know they don't know this. Or many people don't know this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. There's a whole principle there. People say, oh, I don't, I don't, ha I don't ha hate you, pastor. Well, thank you for telling me. 
I don't feel hated anyway. This is not about me or you today. I'm preaching truth in general. Uh, this thing will be uploaded on the World Wide Web. And in fact, in some weeks, we're going to go to live streaming of our services to a potentially worldwide audience. That's not to say that the whole world's going to tune in, but some people will. Some people will. Yeah, I'd, I'd work on that relationship if I were the devil. It's not about hating. It's about if the relationship is just slightly off, if the devil can scramble this thing and just skew it slightly, it already hinders the flow of the blessing that it has afforded to us through a good relationship. People say, I love Jesus, but I just don't like my pastor. <laughs> you can't love Jesus and not love your pastor at the same time. You can't do it. Because if you cannot love the one and be submitted to one whom you can visibly see, you cannot say that you love and that you're submitted to the one that you cannot see. That's the principle in this scripture here. So if I were the devil, I'd work on that area in your life really, really hard. You see, if your attitude towards your pastors is not completely right, your attitude towards Jesus is not completely right. It cannot be. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And I'm moving quickly now because some of you are getting so, so quiet, you're scaring me a little bit now. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Friends, here it is. Any lesser attitude towards our pastors than love and high esteem hinders the flow of the blessing of God. Right. You know, I, uh, I'll be off to South Africa again in a couple of months' time to go there for my annual trip. And that is through the, our connection with, uh, with the Bible College there in head office. Uh, but more importantly, our connection with Dr. Theo Warmerens, who is the apostle of the work. And my attitude towards this man needs to be 100% right. 100% right. Sometimes uh, in our journey of Bible college, you know, sometimes things haven't always quite been like, oh gosh, you know, why is this happening? Why is that not how it should be? And let's fix it. And then, oh, well, we've got limitations over here. But I tell you what, my attitude needs to be absolutely right. Otherwise, I'm hindering the flow of the apostolic anointing flowing into my life that can only flow if there is a good relationship. Any attitude lesser than high esteem for the man yeah. is already going to hinder it. For some weeks now, I've been meditating in the scripture. Many of you know it. Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 51, could be 52. David speaking. He says, Lord, create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And of course, it goes on to say, cast me not away from your presence and do not take the Holy Spirit from me. Hallelujah. And of course, this is Old Testament. 
We've seen the Holy Spirit take him from Saul. Talked about him a few weeks ago. He completely lost the plot. He lost the anointing. He lost the whole function that he had in God. So we've seen it. But friends, I've seen people. I'm just having a friend slash acquaintance uh, that sort of had some failures in his life. Uh, we are talking about a minister who was highly anointed, in, particularly in some areas. And I was just talking to another friend of mine who are trying to work with the man to counsel and to just help to try to restore, but he's always lost. He's lost the anointing. He's lost the anointing. It's when he speaks, it's just words now, where it used to be powerful. When he sings, they used to be just like uh, uh, heavens opened up. When he sings now, it's just another song. Create within me a clean heart. You know, of course, that was the situation that uh, David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And um, in order to cover up his marital indiscretion, because Bathsheba fell pregnant, so he called Uriah, her husband. Some of you know the story well. He tried to get him back from the front line, go home and see your wife and have some fun together and uh, so that, you know, with she, her being pregnant and him thinking, oh, that's right, I came back around about this time and, and, and he tried to cover it up, but the man was a man of integrity and uh, he had some very strong beliefs. He says, no, he says, well, my mates are out there in the field, I'm not going to go home. Uh, so uh, David tried to get him drunk and uh, said, come on, go home now. Well, he would not. Uh, so anyway, the man had been back, and he went back to the battlefield and never slept with his wife. But his wife's pregnant to David. David knew he was going to be found out. So he sent word to the captain of the army. He said, look, with you right, just put him out in the heat of the battle. Put him out in the front line. And then when he's surrounded by enemies, don't help him. Just pull back and have him killed. What a tragedy. So, you know, one sin always leads to another sin. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Sins go in clusters. If somebody is playing around, a married man is playing around with another woman, he's a liar too. And he's a cheater and he's a deceiver. Because in order for one, one sin to stay there, it needs to be covered up with other sins. And, you know, sp spirits, evil spirits work together. There's a spirit of adultery, a spirit of lust that will come on a man, and along with it, a spirit of lies. And along with it, a spirit of deception. They work in clusters. So I've been meditating in this word, and uh, I'm uh, very happy to tell you that I've no, I've not, no adultery in my life, no, no fornication, no, none of that. You know, at a certain stage when you walk with the Lord and, and you keep your nose clean and keep your life clean, the only thing that really uh, goes off uh, potentially is the attitude. Amen. And I've seen some attitudes in my life that I didn't like. And so I've been meditating and I've been praying. Lord, create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Renew a right spirit in me. And you know what? It's working. I've just, I'm in a fresh place today. I've been meditating on, meditating on that for some weeks now because I've recognized there's areas in my life that are not pleasing to God. When I say areas, I mean attitudes. It's even the way I look at somebody. And so as soon as I think I'm better than, than what they are, that's already a bad attitude. 
I look at somebody else and say, oh, I'm smarter than that person. That's already a bad attitude. So as soon as I look at others and, and I'm lifted up, be pride, the devil's already got a grip on me. Right. Create within me a clean heart Amen. and renew a right spirit within me. I cannot even begin to tell you with some of the stories I'm having discussions with my pastors, the number of people whose spirit is not right with their pastor is unbelievable. And they still want to be blessed and they still want to, you know, but it's now, it's just not working now because something is gone off. Number six, and very quickly now, we're closing very shortly. If I were the pastor, let me start again. If I were the devil, I am the pastor, but if I were the devil, and if you were the pastor, I'll cause you to feel the fear of man stronger than you, f you feel the fear of God. That's what I would do. I'll make you afraid of people. I would stir a few people up against you that uh, every Sunday you say something bold and strong that they will come after you. That's what I would do if I were the devil. And Frank, there's a real deal there where pastors sometimes design their sermons around two or three noisy people and hundreds of people that are quiet and good and loving and everything are already missing out now because everything has been dumped down and everything has been toned down a little we got some very noisy crowds in society too. You know, one noisy crowd is the, uh, the homosexual lobby. You know, they've just, they're working on a law in the UK where it'll become illegal to suggest to gay people that they need to convert, uh, you can't become straight. It'll become illegal. So in other words, the preaching of the gospel to that group of people and the court for, for them to repent will be hindered and will no longer be possible. Of course, the devil wants to keep deceived people deceived and he wants to hinder others that are in the light and reaching out to them in love. He wants to hinder that. So if I were the devil, I'd make you afraid of people. If you were the minister. And I would tempt you to only say nice things all the time. That's what I would do. God says to Jeremiah, <laughs> Jeremiah, I've called you to preach the gospel. Jeremiah says, I'm only a youth. And God says, don't worry about it. You know, I'm kind of paraphrasing. He says, I've called you to uproot, to tear down, and then to rebuild and to plant and to build up again. And God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, whatever you do, do not be afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of their faces. Jeremiah, of course, was preaching to a largely backslidden uh, nation. Very difficult life. They locked him up. The king was against him. The people were against him. It was just a disaster. But you know what? Jeremiah just carried on. It's just an amazing guy. Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. You know, the fear of man has turned church pulpits into popularity stands across the board. I'm not saying everywhere, but uh, we've got some wonderful churches. We've got some great ministers. I uh, remember meeting 
Mari Marilla for the first time. I heard him for the first time, was it 2013, 2014, in the US. And the first thing that struck me when he got up to preach was, he's a man that is not afraid. He told an interesting story in regards to his relationship with Kenneth Hagin and, you know, with the teaching that Kenneth Hagin has brought forth as a prophet of God and as a teacher of the word. He says, when I was a young man in California, he says, there was an old lady that came to me one day. She's a prophetess. And she began to prophesy to me and she says, Mario, there's a prophet coming to California. Whatever you do, do not oppose him. Do not oppose him. Sometime after that, Kenneth Hagin came. And um, here's a prophet. And they opposed him at every turn. He had such a hard time in California. California, by the way, is one of the, more, the, the most liberal states in, in all of America. We're talking about conservative America. We're talking about the, the liberal America. We're talking about, you know, the conservatives and the liberals. Uh, we're talking about, you know, just the whole thing. California is very, very liberal. Well, they gave him such a hard time. And he wasn't about to come back in a hurry. And uh, it's like all hell broke loose. They maligned them. They did everything they could. You know, the devil stood up their heart against the man of God. And Mario says, I was so glad that I had the word of the Lord. I could have joined in with everybody else and maligned him and said all these other things that the others said. Um, and uh, Mario would uh, uh, kind of testify that uh, that was or could have been a turning point in his life and in his ministry. You know, many people have come and gone. He's a man that started preaching at age 17, age 18. He's now, in the, he's well and truly uh, uh, beyond 60. Uh, and what a wonderful man he is. And there is a longevity there. And sometimes it's just the attitude towards somebody that can make all the difference. It could be a make it or a break it situation. You know, the fear of man has turned preachers of righteousness into politically correct puppets. Preaching truth has been replaced with politically correct speeches. You know, when I wrote this, I hit the word dribble there. <laughs> politically correct dribble. I don't know. Let's take it out. Let's be nice. Let's be politically correct and put the word speech rather than dribble. <laughs> Later, the preaching for conviction and life change has been replaced with preaching for popularity. And we've got so many ministers now, some that are very, very, very popular. And I'm not here to cast stones, and I'm not here to name names, but let me tell you. Let me tell you. What's happened to the offense of the cross? What's happened to the preaching of the gospel where people got upset? And uh, now nobody gets upset in these, uh, some of these churches because nobody is able to ruffle, ruffle any feathers. Proverbs 14, verse 26, it says, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. So the Bible speaks of the fear of man, it's a snare. 
and to fear the Lord brings strong confidence. Amen. You know, sometimes I just, I'm never amazed, um, or I never cease to be amazed, I should say, that sometimes when I'm preaching and, and the anointing of God is on my life to do so, I, I, at times I, I just, frankly, I, I couldn't give two hoots about what you think about my preaching, and I couldn't give two hoots about it. There's such a confidence there, it's almost scary. But then I go home and then when the anointing lifts, I say, oh no, what have I said? <laughs> what have I said? <laughs> and then I agonize for a couple of days and I get over it again and then I start preparing for the next word and there's a great confidence that comes into my life. Second Timothy, I know I'm going a little bit over time, but you need to now give me the time to let me finish. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, circle the word doctrine, for reproof, circle the word reproof, circle the word correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Circle the word correction and instruction in righteousness. Four things. The word is suitable for four things specifically. That the man of God may be complete, so we've got a lot of incomplete Christians. They've only been taught, you know, nice sermons, but they're never corrected. They're never reproved. Nobody ever challenges them to a higher level of living. And I tell you what, you'd be amazed what goes on, that uh, sometimes ministers are scared of Mr. Big Bucks that sits there and puts big offerings. I'm not talking here. But I'm aware of places where Mr. Big Bucks puts in big offerings into the offering. And once or twice, you know, you say, oh, pastor, just keep, us, keep encouraging us. Keep encouraging us. Do not correct us, but keep encouraging us. And threatening to withdraw their financial support. And when sometimes ministers are launching out and there is, you know, the church is sort of on a building project or something, there is sometimes a temptation to just not rock the boat too much. It happens. Let me tell you, it happens. And you know, then there's over here is Mr. Big Bucks over there, his sister Bucket Mouth. And she will run off and she will ramble on all week about the pastor having said this and having said that and upset her and so on. Sister Bucket Mouth, the pastors are scared of Sister Bucket Mouth too. <laughs> but not this one. I've lined one or two of them up over the years. I haven't quite called them that. I'm much more politically correct than that. But I said, look, look. <laughs> of course, I'm such a nice person. <laughs> So that's what the word is for. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you therefore, Timothy. This is Paul speaking. I charge you. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Amen. The word that does four things. Preach the word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Don't just preach the nice things. Preach everything. Hallelujah. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
Friends, what's happened to the days when they were preparing towards revival and they were in revival and we had revival preachers that preached so strong and so hard and described hell so clearly that people fainted in their seats because they felt like they were in, in hell already. What's happened to the days when somebody preached against sexual immorality and people rushed to the front? to the altar to get their lives right with God because the sense was so strong that if they go out of here, they'd lose their salvation or they'd end up going to hell just immediately. What's happened to those days? Where are those preachers? Where are the preachers of righteousness that are prepared to confront mindsets and issues and attitudes that hinder us from moving further and deeper into the presence of of God. And I close with this scripture here in Jeremiah. We talked about it before. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. God says, He's not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. What's happened to the days of fiery preaching? You cannot move a people into revival through politically correct preaching. You can't do it. It cannot be done. Amen. You need strong, fiery teaching and preaching. You need strong leadership. Hallelujah. And that means everybody. That God relies on everybody and says, let's, let's go somewhere. Let's take this nation for Jesus. Amen. Let's preach the gospel. Let's preach it strong. And let's preach it loud. Let's Amen. preach it hard. Yes, a few people will get upset, but let's not be afraid of their faces. Hallelujah. What's amazing here is that uh, God was rebuking the people there and Jeremiah does the preaching. You know, if Jeremiah were to turn up in the average church service today, he wouldn't know what's happened. He would, not, he would think he's on another planet with another people. He just would not know what's happened. Gosh, he went after it. Oh, did he go after it. In this instance here, there was a whole sermon, and some of it sort of toggles in and out where God's speaking and Jeremiah's speaking, and, and he says, thus, you know, says the Lord. And he says, there are people, he says, there's false prophets. And he says, these false prophets, uh, this is in verse 16 and verse 17 of the same chapter. It's not in your outline, but I, I just want to read this to you. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak of visions of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 17, and here it is. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said that you shall have peace. So it says, they're saying to people who, God's saying, there are people that despise me. I've got false prophets that tell these same people that God says, you shall have peace. You shall have peace. When God knows they're not going to have peace. And Jeremiah knows they're not going to have peace. But the false prophets have gotten into this popularity game. You shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall befall you. You can live any way you like. 
You can sleep with whomever you want to sleep with. You can do what you like on a Sunday, even though it's the Lord's day. You can, anything will go. Live according to the dictates of your own heart, and you shall have peace, and you shall have blessing, you shall have prosperity. God says, don't listen to those false prophets. Is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Is it not like fire? And here's the deal that across pulpits uh, of this earth, they have exchanged the hammer of God's word with a light feather to gently stroke the people. And not suggest that anybody needs to change their lives, not confront anything. Everything is just gently stroke, gently stroke until people go to sleep spiritually. And I'm saying, friends, we're not those sorts of people. We're not those sorts of people. We're doing all right this morning. Praise God. Please, no horns, no pitchfork. But if I were the devil, that's what I would do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We salute you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We stand in awe in your presence. You died on the cross. You shed your own blood. You took our sins upon yourself so that we could be saved. And we pray, God, create within us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us.